Hello, welcome to the Not A Game podcast. It's episode 77 and I was going to make a bingo joke, but apparently there aren't any funny bingo names for the number 77, so I'm not going to. I thought 77 was Legs 11. No, that's 11. (laughs) (laughs) The number 11 is Legs 11. No, that will make more sense. (laughs) Legs with no knees in them. I am joined by the idiotic Tom Hatfield. Okay. <laughs> and Ed Fenning. Hello. And we're not going to do a stupid question because we're going to talk about Rezzed and we've just been sharing lists of games we've played and there are a lot of them. So I'm going to do the horrible thing we always do, which is force the guest to go first. <laughs> Ed. Oh, fantastic. What, what was your favourite thing you played at Rezzed? Hmm... Favorite thing was probably Aviary Attorney, but that's because I'm a sucker for Phoenix Wright. <laughs> uh, explain what Aviary Attorney was for the, the listeners. Neither yeah. of you have spelt it right in your lists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Aviary Attorney is basically Phoenix Wright done in a beautiful pen drawn world, but with birds and animals instead of people. And yeah, if so you're on. Unf- like a mix between Phoenix Wright and Hatter for Boyfriend. Yeah, kind of in like basically. a Victorian uh, sort of engraving style, though. Um, yeah, I like the vocabulary to describe that. Mm. Is it some like, substance? Uh, the demo was exceedingly short, which I was actually grateful for the Vez experience because otherwise you're waiting forty minutes for a slot to free up. But um, from what I've seen, it seems to be living up to what a Phoenix Wright game is, where you sort of collecting evidence, mild jokes and humour, exploring locations, and then you get ready to present it all into a case, and you're there piecing together a case and thinking what points you can press on, what you can ask on, and when you can present evidence to advance the case forward, which it's, by now, it's, it's yeah, it's down to a T what Phoenix Wright is, but I don't mind more of it. Yeah, it is directly, like, structured exactly the same. The section they showed you was, like, the investigation bit at the start. You go around, you talk to some people, um, um, you get a piece of evidence, and then you go into a trial, and you have to use it to prove that someone's lying. Um, Though one thing that was different, and I don't know if this was just for the evidence, is there were a series of locations you could go to, but um, you had to go to trial after you went to the first one. So, as opposed to Phoenix Wright, which is kind of the uh, LucasArts-style you have as much time to look around as you like and you can't, you know, progress, you can't um, push it forwards without finding everything. Mm. Um, is it, so is there any relevance to the fact that they're birds in the plot or does, do they act as if they're humans, they just look like birds? It's the basis for many bad puns. <laughs> oh, I love bad puns. And, and kind of characterization as well, I think. Like, because uh, it's not just all birds, the... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the main characters are birds, but the uh, like the the incompetent opposing lawyer is a very nervous rabbit, for example. Okay. <laughs> and uh, one of the guys you question is an extremely pompous lion, uh, <laughs> and other such things. That's interesting that they've characterised the 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 suspects and stuff through animals as opposed to through like normal kind of human signifiers of like what makes someone look confident or what makes someone look nervous. Mm-hmm. that's pretty cool but is there I mean is there anything else to set it apart or is it just a big gimmick that's it really but um, I think <laughs> I think, so yes. yeah. no. I think it still kind of works on the, because um, uh, partly because there just aren't any other games that are like Phoenix Wright really um, and 
the Phoenix Wright, and you will only play the Phoenix Wright ones on Nintendo consoles. So it kind of just brings that idea out onto the PC and I presume other places for everyone else to give a go. That's fair enough. What, sorry, what other games do you think would work if you replaced all the characters with birds and other animals? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. GTA with birds. Hmm. Mafia birds and. <laughs> yeah, that, I was actually just going to suggest that. Um, it's probably a mod to do that, actually. Mm. Skyrim with birds. There are several mods to add birds into Skyrim. But, uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like three different ones. Um, that all add birds in slightly different ways. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I kind of like, um, I, I don't know, maybe, um, Elite. So it's just a lot of birds <laughs> and little spaceships. <laughs> they'd have to, they'd That'd have be to Star Fox, though, basically, then, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can just say Project Cars, might as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds interesting. Mm. Um, Tom, Although, what was your, oh no, go on. I was going to say, one of the best uses of birds in games I've heard is, um, from various flight simulators. Uh, the one I heard it from was X-Plane, which, um, literally just has, like, if you find it, if you find it's not challenging enough to just fly the plane, you can hit a button to immediately uh, uh, to immediately have a bird strike, as they call it, happen. A bird strike. Oh, bird strike is when a bird gets is when a bird hits your plane and gets sucked oh. into the engine or something. Lovely. Mm. Um, what were you going to say? Sorry, I was going to say what was your favourite game at Resd? Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, the ones I really liked uh, were Salt. Her story and Guild Engineering. Well, how about because I was going to talk about Salt? How about <laughs> you talk about her story, which I played for a little bit and then kind of went, mm, "Can I play this at home?" <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how long it is till it's out. I don't think it's that long, so you probably get a chance to. Um, yeah, it's uh, her story is basically um, it's there was, was it me or was it the theme of Res this year? Kind of like deliberate uh, deliberate recreations of old PC interfaces. Uh, yeah. Salt looks like a, a like a nineties Mac. Uh and um her story looks like Windows ninety eight or something like that. Um it's basically you've got a terrible old you've got access to a terrible old PC computer uh, p- uh police computer via the Freedom of Information Act. Uh and you've got these um fragmented clips of interviews with this one woman. Um and uh, only the her side of the interview. You don't get to see anything the detective says, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> which is poorly attempted to explain away, but it's clearly there because that's how uh, the game is supposed to play this. Um, and what happens is all these clips are very short, um, and you can they're not really arranged properly or chronologically, so you find them by searching for keywords. So the idea is that you try and uncover the mystery behind the murder by searching for different words watching these clips, getting new ideas for things to search for and getting deeper and deeper. Well, because I thought it was you had a search term and you showed the fa- first five results of that sh- yeah. search term. That's, so you were... Yeah. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, that's another part of it. Yeah, it shows you the first five results because she probably says murder in the bit where she explains exactly what happened, but that would be a bit too easy. So you only get the first five times she says murder. Oh, okay. And, so you have to be very precise... Uh, to reach the later, more interesting clips. Could you not just kind of brute force it by using words that would come up in a conclusive <laughs> interview? That's kind of what I did at first. I like I didn't know where to start, so I just started brute forcing it by throwing policey words at it. 
Mm. You know, um, and but those yeah, but those gave me enough clues that I could um, that I then started following those leads, and that led me down towards another one, and to a really nice moment where I realised something. I was like, oh my god, what if what if types in relevant word? Oh my god, I was right. Um, and that was the bit where I think I probably solved more of it than you're supposed to in the res demo. Because <laughs> um, I was only out there for half an hour and I felt like I got quite deep into the case. And also I noticed um, the developer uh, carefully wiping the search history after I left. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, this, probably just force uh, of habit. <laughs> isn't this a potentially problematic game though? Because you could just theoretically solve it by typing in one word. So if someone wanted to look it up and they stumbled across a walkthrough and the walkthrough was just like, just type this word and you'll solve the game. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, um, that's definitely a thing that can happen. He, he said, uh, the developer said as much. Um, but I guess the, the point is that you don't do that. The interesting thing is I don't actually know what happens if there's like, if there's like, ta-da, you solved it screen when you get to the all important clip or whether you're just supposed to get a greater picture of the story. As we're mm. saying, I don't know how much the final game will give you, but when I sat down, I had no context whatsoever. I was just like, there was a readme, um, which basically said, uh, through a three of information act, you have gotten uh, access to these interviews about this case. That's it. Like, I didn't know what the case was at first. I didn't mm. know if it was a murder or whatever. Because um, this cold case isn't it, the idea. Yeah, and, from like 1993. Um, and so there's... Aesthetic four different days I think and you can tell which different clips from, from what days depending on what outfit she's wearing yeah there's uh, also a time code but uh, the most obvious like visual indicator is that she's wearing different outfits and that's like different times like if she's wearing the white outfit you although like I only saw those a few times I think that was like the last interview um, ah interesting well quite early on it's interesting because it throws at you a clip where it looks like she's admitting something or that something bad has happened. So you know you're building towards that and there's reasons not to like this woman, but it's the story of how you get there and what little yeah. bits you pick up from the videos you get. So, again, yeah, so early on I literally didn't know whether I was investigating a missing person's case or a murder and who, and if that was the case, who it was who was missing and or murdered. Um, and I won't explain which it is, obviously. But... Um, <laughs> But as a result of that, yeah, I think if you if you totally did the walkthrough thing, you you typed in the key phrase and got the confession at the end, it probably wouldn't illustrate everything. You'd probably still be confused as to what the hell she was, what the hell uh, was actually going on. I say confession. I don't know that she did it. I think she did, but I don't know. <laughs> Is there some way to find out like how many of the available clips you've watched? Because I am a completionist, or I would be mm. with a game that short, and I'd want to try and try and watch them all. Maybe it's on the credit screen. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. There was like a little uh, visual interface that looked had like a grid of database clips and some of them were highlighted. So that might have been it, but I couldn't understand that at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, um, the only other thing, pretty much, other than that interface, is like uh, you, I opened up the waste paper basket and found like uh, a text file called uh, Easter egg doc text. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> was it? Was it blank? Uh, I think it just had some ASCII and of, of, an, of let's say Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, but this game is from one of the people who works on uh, that Silent Hill Shattered Memories, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it does manage to evoke quite a creepy atmosphere and things, and 
you do start to notice some off things. And again, playing as a solo experience in this very cold, musicless sort of game you're experiencing, it just starts to sort of become quite creepy if you sort of invest into it. There's, um, yeah, there's little touches around it as well. There's one that he, yeah. uh, he said at the time that he was trying to figure out how to balance properly where, um, you'll occasionally like get these moments of you'll hear like the faint sounds of the siren in the background and you'll kind of see so uh, you'll kind of see uh, it ref- uh, so it looks like it's reflected in the screen um which is interesting i don't know exactly what those are triggered by they're random or if it's a specific like atmosphere because the first time it happened i was like does this mean i found a clue <laughs> i have no idea or oh, one person i saw uh, playing it, saw that clue and jumped up off the seat and fell backwards. <laughs> that was, yeah. The problem with games like that, though, is that I already feel so much pressure playing games at expos with people standing behind me mm. that, like, if I don't immediately know what to do, I feel kind of weird and anxious and I kind of just want to get up and, and go and play something else. I don't know if you guys have this at all or if you're comfortable just sitting down and playing with something while there are other people waiting and you're not sure what you're doing and you're just wasting time. Oh, no, I have massive anxiety over that. In fact, the last game I played of the soul, with, uh, the show, which I'll uh, leave uh, nameless for now, the uh, mad-eyed Danish man came along with like a scraper for wallpaper and scrape the keyboard underneath me because I'd spent 20 minutes on the game and apparently that was too long I was just rather than sort of like a little tap on the shoulder or something to indicate there was a cue because I got myself lost a little bit sort of physically scraping a keyboard underneath me I was quite oh because it was one of the few times where I'd actually forgotten that there might be a cue behind me because when I sat down it was sort of an empty seat but, oh wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> I'd say I've gotten kind of used to it generally, um, but yeah, if I if I am working on it for a, lot, a long time, um, then I kind of feel the, the most awkward bit is when you're not really enjoying the game and you're like, how long do I leave it before I, I bail out and let the next person take over? Especially if the developer is standing right behind you, yeah. and especially, especially if they know that you're a journalist. <laughs> yeah. That is the worst. That's one of the reasons I don't tell people a journal- I'm a journalist until after I've played it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, fair point. I think I'm. I think I'm too recognisable. <laughs> being being a woman <laughs> is unfortunately not really helping me there in staying under the radar. The worst one was when I played Titanfall at EGX last year because I got snuck to the front of the queue because the queue was an hour long and I needed to play it for work. But I didn't see the tutorial because they snuck me to the front of the queue. So I just sat down and had no idea what I was doing. And all these like dude bros were standing behind me who'd been queuing for an hour or over an hour. Just like, what is this woman doing? (laughs) This is ridiculous. Yeah, that was pretty bad. But uh, my favourite game in the show was probably, oh gosh, I don't know actually, I liked quite a few of them. I did really, really like Salt and I am interested to see what that looks like when it's finished. Um, it's kind of, for those who don't know, um, I think Holly, the developer Holly described it as a mix between Redshirt and um, a Christine Love game. Mm. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a visual novel um but it has the the kind of red shirt style interface in that it's in it's within a social network um it's called what's it called mugshot her version of facebook yeah 
I think. And it's, um, yeah, it's like a weird Facebook Twitter hybrid thing, but in a, on like a, a Mac yeah. from 1992. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's very like minimal um, and kind of black and white. Um, but the the story behind the game, in as much as there is one, is that you've wiped your mugshot of all of your friends apart from one, I think, because you've had a bad breakup and you kind of want to wipe the slate clean. And the mugshot people get in touch with you and say that in order to use it properly, you need to add like one friend a day for the next 30 days because there's like a minimum friend allowance, which you can imagine actually being a thing. Yeah, the, like, the, the, the document that they like, um, the, the email they send you at the start is just such a brilliant like social media dystopia. You must follow one person to, per uh, per day to continue to follow your contract with Mugshot Inc. And yeah, so it's like... but it's 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 dystopian, but it's not far off the reality. Like I think someone was mm. saying on Twitter the other day that Facebook wouldn't let him not have any friends, so he like had to add a friend. <laughs> and like when you sign up for Twitter, it tries to insist that you follow mm. like a celebrity and then like someone from your contacts list and all this kind of rubbish. That's Tom, one of the interesting things about. Uh, Salt's like interface though is that it doesn't have any of that stuff. Like it, it insists that you follow people, but it only has the most basic methods for finding people to follow, which is like you start with this one person and you can see the people who've replied to them and you probably follow one of them and such like and so it grows. Yeah. And, and the there's thing no like recommended people you follow or even a search button in there. No, and it's another one of those where you have to work out what to do like thankfully i managed to work it out because there's not really much else you can do mm. but um it's another one where i can imagine people sitting down and being like i have no idea how i'm supposed to play this and just getting off and buggering off but yeah you um so you have this one trusted friend on the first day and you see an update from them and then you can click on the replies and see the people who've replied and then add them and then you go on like that adding one person a day um and the interesting thing you can do is you can click on these people's profiles and look back over their previous status updates, like before you added them, mm. um, which is, it made me feel like I was using actual Facebook because that mm. is what you do when you add a new friend. You look on their profile and you go back um, to look back at the kinds of things they used to say. Or like when someone follows you on Twitter, you'll scroll down their feed a bit to see the previous things they've said. Um, so it felt even though it looks really, really minimal, it felt quite realistic and like my actual experiences, which I thought was really interesting. And yeah, you just, you kind of, through doing that, a story unfolds and that's pretty much all there is to it. But it's yeah. pretty interesting and all the characters in it are quite funny. And um, the writing is also quite realistic. Like I know a lot of games that have tried to tackle uh, these kinds of things or tried to like capture the kinds of ways that young people speak haven't really succeeded. Um, I'm thinking of Life is Strange, which I haven't played, but I've heard that some people have commented on the kind of words that they use in it and how it feels a bit off. But this is really, really realistic. Um, and there's a character called Chris uh, White, I think, or Chris Wright, and he's Christos, as in friend of ours, Christos Reeves. Like, he literally is him. All he does is make puns. He's, I think, my favourite character in the game. But there's other people that seem familiar. I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but there is someone like I can't watch. I think she might be called Christina Dor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty obvious who that is um, mm -hmm. in there. Uh, I don't know if any of the others are based on people. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that you see. It's, it's very passive, but you see different parts of a story depending on who you decide to follow. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, what was I going to say? 
Um, it does say that at the end of 30 days you'll be able to actually post things, so I don't know what the plan is for them, or uh, if there'll be any like gentle marketing up um, of talking to Holly with it afterwards. And I sort of wondered what it would be like if you could like silently favorite things but not um, say anything. Um, <laughs> Passive aggressive simulator. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, the thing, one of the things I found most interesting with it is just the way those sort of networks worked. So early on, you get your, um, you're playing a female character and, uh, your trusted, your one trusted friend is a woman. And very early on, the only people you find are women for, uh, for most of the time for me. And then like, I found, and then like, I followed one guy's boyfriend and then suddenly I'd broken into the dude's space. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And, and at the moment, I, and like there was this really hard divide between them. They weren't really talking to each other, um, which I found really interesting. So neither you completed it on the show floor, though. It's only the show version only lets you go up to ten days. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I backed down at nine days because I was thinking I'm taking too long here, and I want <laughs> to because though even when you get to sort of 10 people added, it's such an information overload and trying to weave all the different stories together and keep track of what they're all saying. I was finding that, yeah, I'd definitely need to just be by myself and enjoy this for an hour or two rather than trying to <laughs> rush through it. Yeah, I the did... one immediately after you, after, uh, if you got up to nine, then yeah, the very next one is just like all the, every, all everyone says for the day is thanks for playing the demo or some variant on that based on their personality. Ah, mm. uh, okay. <laughs> Because I did try and be stubborn and not friend anyone of the day. And when asked, are you sure you have not friended someone? I expected the game to end, but it didn't. So I guess maybe it just changes how it will end. Hmm. But, hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's... Yeah. Any, anyone else got any comments on Salt or should we move on? I was going to say, I uh, think uh, Holly also said there might eventually be other stuff on the computer. Because right now there's a non-exist... There's a files link that doesn't work and make shot and that's it. But there might be other things that kind of give a sort of background environmental storytelling bits of information as to who Jane, the character you're playing, is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's. I or think what that's. What file she has lying around on a computer. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I did mention to Holly the red shirt thing, and she turns out to be one of the most enthusiastic players of red shirt I've ever come across. Having, I think she admitted it was a uh, ninety hours she put into that game. Wow. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So. Cool. Ed. Yes. Pick another game that you played first. Okay, well, I'm going to go for something that wasn't a solo experience, a screen sheet. Did you find other people to play it with? I did. I was actually sociable. I I rounded up a... (laughs) I thought you didn't have any friends there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I, I managed to grab together three people who I vaguely knew uh, and put them on the control. It's basically it's a synthesis of sort of Time Splitters 2 gameplay but on the unique premise that you everyone's invisible and so you have to look at other people's screens to judge where they are and to help you with that all sections of the map are sort of colour coded in very weird and different ways and there's mm. lots of different raised platforms and jumping areas and there's a variety of like silly crazy weapons and things like you can ride a toy horse forward at charge of people you can hit some of a chandelier or you can just like launch grenades or leave little walking robotic exploding dogs so it's a fun silly game it's sort of like what i remember from sort of like gaming as like 
uh, young teenager and things when you used to have friends around and you'd all play on one TV before you had to buy Xbox Live or something like that to actually play with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, I'm looking. I. It's something which I don't know if I'll ever get myself because the idea of gathering three other people around my PC and sticking in three controllers just seems a bit strange. My PC is my workspace and private gaming area. That sounds weird. <laughs> private gaming. <laughs> 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 what kind of gaming is that? That's how you play oh. Catherine. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't even know if Catherine's on PC. It's probably not, is it? I've probably just made a really stupid joke. Yeah. It's Again, it's one of those games like Gang Beasts, though, isn't it? That you would yeah. play at an event, like at a party-type atmosphere and not necessarily in your own home. Yeah, and I, I could see it getting picked up by one of the console um, indie people at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, was that the one that you um, told when you said you were when you were looking at the rare stuff in the first place? It was uh, for people who played first-person shooters in the nineties. Uh, uh <laughs> no, that was a different game that I don't know if any if either of you played. I'm gonna look it up now because I've forgotten what it was called. But yeah, I'm not. Well, neither me nor Ed is old enough to remember. <laughs> you shouldn't be old enough, Ed, to remember playing first-person shooters in the nineties. <laughs> Uh, what was that one called? It began with a B, uh, I think. I don't know. There was quite a lot of heavily inspired uh, Quake and Doom games there. Oh, yeah. Bedlam, it was called. Uh. Pitched as a shooter for those who survived online gaming in the 80s and 90s. No, I'm not, I'm not, um, the biggest fan of the description they give this game on the website because they put in a few paragraphs down for the game we're taking a slightly different perspective dot 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 a female perspective dot 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 which struck me as a really strange thing to say like i get that they're trying to be you know ironically uh, sexist in the 90s no they're trying to be progressive by being like oh we've got a oh okay protagonist but uh, to me that's like saying that the female perspective is a different perspective strikes me as incredibly odd being somebody who has a female perspective. So just clumsy, but well-intentioned. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like women. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. But yeah, no, that wasn't, that wasn't screen cheat. Um, I didn't try screen cheat because I don't really like multiplayer at the best of times, let alone at an event like that. But it did look interesting, and I would consider playing it like at something that's made for playing multiplayer games, like events where you play Gang Beasts and other games like that. Mm. Uh, I did play Disc Storm, which is another multiplayer one that I played yeah, at Game City. I think City. I've played that before at another event. It might have been Game City. Yeah, I, that's pretty cool. It's it's kind of simple. Like there are four players i think up to four players and you just have these like frisbee style things that you can shoot at each other and there are different modes like there's one where you have a bomb uh like like a hot potato kind of thing there's a bomb with a timer ticking down and to get rid of the bomb you hit people with the frisbees and then the bomb goes to them and if you're the last person with the bomb then you lose the round or whatever and there's one where there's a crown, and if you're wearing the crown, then you win. So you have to try and steal the crown off the other people. But you're always doing the same thing of throwing these frisbees at each other. And there's, you know, there's like a dodge button and a thing where you can dash across the screen. And there are different environments that you can play in, but it's still fairly basic. Though I guess, you know, other games like that, like Gang Beasts, are basic, and I still really enjoy them. And I did enjoy Disc Storm. I just don't know if I would play it a lot. 
Mm. Um, Tom, did you play any multiplayer games? Um, I can't remember. I, I don't think I did, actually. Um, no, everything I played was single player. Okay, well, that, that, <laughs> that ruined that. That's a wasted segue. <laughs> Anything else interesting that you played? Um, I see quite a lot. Uh, let's see, um, I did spend a fair amount of time around the left field stuff. Um, I was gonna say, actually, no, not in the left field, but one of the most visually interesting games I've played. If it, even if it didn't feel like it was, it had much yet in the way of, um, actual game, was, uh, knocked. Um, I don't oh, know if anyone so else saw that. Knocked as in the beginning of the word nocturnal, not knocked as in I knocked on the door. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Just for um, anyone listening, you might want to Google that. Which is kind of a top-down shooter with, um, but, um, it's, uh, it's designed to look like a, um, a thermal camera. So, uh, everything's in black and white and your player is glowing white because obviously body heat, uh, the same goes for all the enemies. Um, and it kind of, um, it reminds me of like, uh, well, the games that the obvious parallel is, uh, Call of Duty's like ACE 130 gunship, uh, level. Um, and all similar or, and all like old news footage or anything like that of, uh, police choppers or military choppers like, um, uh, filming things from above, um, which gives it this really interesting, distinctive look that really fits this kind of weird apocalypse survival thing that's going on. Um, but that was about as far as it got. Other than that, you just shoot giant spiders. Uh, Great. <laughs> and if you and me struggle to giant up, spiders. Yeah, and if you and me struggle to figure out the interface for picking up and putting down objects, um, but the, to be fair, the giant spiders. That was. I'm glad it wasn't zombies. And also, like giant spiders and other monsters do look pretty cool when they're in that sort of when they're glowing with uh, they're, they're glowing with body heat and stuff like that. Um, so I'm glad they went that way. Rather than mm. zombies, zombies would have been boring as hell. Oh yeah, but, zombies wouldn't glow, I suppose, being dead. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I almost said that. <laughs> I that. Um, but yeah, um, so really interesting look. Uh, but I don't know how well it's going to go beyond that. Speaking of giant spiders, uh, Ed, well, this isn't going to matter because they didn't put giant spiders in the res demo, but I heard that they had them in there is Tafobos, Tafobos, however you say it, otherwise known as the Coffin Game. Yes. The, the Coffin Game, which I believe is a University of Lincoln project. Correct me if is, I'm wrong, people. Is that like the vampire fanfic for Game of Thrones? um, so I'll explain the idea before I actually just moving on (laughs) well just gloss over that one Uh, yes Tafos it's a immersive coffin experience how it was described Um, basically one person is wearing a VR headset and you get laid down to a coffin they put a nice pillow there for you so it's not too uncomfortable Uh, and then they slam the lid shut and all you have then is your goggles and, well, your body's still, so you're looking around your head in the inside of a coffin, and you have a headset on and a mic, and you're talking to someone who's playing a first-person uh, platforming game, almost, who starts off in a church, and the only way they can find your coffin is by talking back and forth, and you giving them clues where to go, which sounds like it could be really cool in theory, it didn't work. <laughs> so, this uh, game, sadly, 
they haven't got to the point of randomizing it yet. So if you accidentally happen to see someone play it in the queue in front of you, you then accidentally know exactly where the coffin's going to be in your playthrough. And given mm. the length of the queue, every single person will have seen the, the person in front of them play it. Yeah, it was uh, our half-hour queue when I went to do it, and that stayed that way most of the day, because people oh, just wanted to lie, lie down in the coffin. Yeah. yeah. And so I did it. But, um, yeah, like, the time in the coffin, you... <sighs> What a that I got the impression from, like seeing early screenshots, was that I was thinking it was going to be clues carved onto the inside of the coffin, and maybe it's going to be a randomised experience. So you'd be desperately trying to interpret it and have some puzzle within the coffin for you to figure out or figure out with your partner. As it was, instead, floating white words appeared in front of your vision, which just <laughs> gave really cheesy shit clues, which sort of just took me out of it, especially when you're turning your head and they're following your eyes around where. Oh, a spooky skeleton through the door, jump through, and oh, it just, <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt like, uh, if those, if it was a longer game, if I was in that coffin for an extended period of time, or I had to sort of move my body and be aware that I was in a space, and I wasn't just lying down with a comfy VR headset on, which was constantly illuminated in the coffin. So ways I'd improve it would be to randomize it, have it not be floaty white text in front of your eyes. And uh, maybe bring something like a peripheral for the coffin player to hold, like a button which activates a lighter so they can only see the clues for a short amount of time. The rest of the time, you're only focusing on your breathing. Because the other thing that ruined it was, though I understand why you need to be in communication with the other person, was especially on the show floor, you heard all the background noise through their mic around them that was going on. So lots of people having conversations and things it does sort of take you out of that experience and wasn't really as immersive a burial as I was expecting in this <laughs> life or the next okay yeah. uh, the guy, the developer said that they were going to include or they have included in a different version of it a giant spider that falls on your chest inside the coffin, would that have improved the experience <laughs> for you? well Perhaps, yes. It would give me something to look at instead of just... Because this the thing, it was a visually boring game if you were in the coffin. Like You had that novelty soon wore off and you were just looking around with floating white words which you just read out to your partner who was then just... Because I played both sides as well because we were a group of three so we were allowed to switch around. Uh, which you don't even really need as the person trying to find the coffin because it's a straight line jumping platformer thing. You go down some stairs, go through the only path that's available, walk around, and then you just run over the coffin. There's not even any physics collision or anything. You just walk straight through the coffin, like your shins are emerging, the person that's in that coffin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I really support the concept where they're going with it, and I like the fact that they brought a coffin to a game show and made people lie down on it. But it also it, it got um, delayed because the courier didn't turn up in time. So they kind of dramatically carried it in halfway through the second day of the expo. Which was quite interesting. Everyone was kind of ooing and eyeing. Oh, no wonder I didn't see that one then. I was mm. left before the coffin arrived. They also had to have health and safety people test it with carbon monoxide monitors, uh, carbon dioxide monitors to like check whether you would run out of air if you panicked while you were in there and stuff like that. 
Do you think that that's the next big craze? Oculus Rift getting murdered simulators? Because I've seen that. I've also um, I've also seen the one uh, which puts you in a guillotine. Oh, I think the the guillotine one is more interesting because then there's like the whole process of imagining what it'd be like to see it coming down. Whereas in the coffin, it's like, this is what you would see if you were lying in a coffin. It's the inside of a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's pretty much it. You might as well just make that a real world game then. and Just, just actually bear, get buried in the coffin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why do you even need the Oculus Rift in that situation? Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think the guillotine one is interesting, and you know it obviously did something right because everyone was talking about it. I'm just not sure whether I mean it was it was very experimental. I don't think it's anything that will go any further. No. Tom, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of an interesting way to ask you for another one of these ones on the list, but I'm just going to look at the list and pick one. Um, You're in the magic. I'm sorry. I want to talk about Line Wobbler, so I'm going to steal that one. Um, would you like to talk about the one with the Latin name that Ed gave oh, Cave Bollocks on his list? <laughs> I believe the actual name is Cave Cave Deus Videi. I have no idea if I pronounced that right because I do not actually speak Latin. Ed? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there was no correct way to speak Latin, really. Yeah, it's um, actually meant to be close to Yorkshire, but... Well, the way you pronounce it is. But anyway, that's getting off topic. Um, Back to Tom. Yes, it's it's a very strange game. And I think, like, there's a, there's a tendency to, especially in something like the Left Field Collection, to embrace the weird, and you don't want to be, like, the stodgy old person who is like, this is just nonsense. <laughs> um, there was a brilliant series of tweets that Christos did after that about, uh, imagining, I think it was Steve Burns from Video Gamer going around, uh, the place going there's one that's just lights uh, um, yeah but the one but, that's just lights is incredible but this carve carve one was was a bit kind of well i don't know what i would use to describe yeah, it so not my the, cup of tea the weirdest thing is that it's it goes through several things like it starts off with um it starts off as um it's it, oh, oh it's a bit uh silly and avant-garde but i'll go along with it where it goes like, presents you with a series of tests um like first one, it tells you to look at your hand, and then um, it gives you a series of cards with pictures of hands, and you're supposed to pick the right one. Um, I thought that that was going to be something to do with um, the the theories that have been going around about things like uh, autistic spectrum disorders and whether you have one your ring finger is longer than your index finger. But I think it mm. actually was just so that the graphic in the game that was representing your hand was accurate to your hand. That's really. And then there was another one where it asked you to. Uh, relax for a few seconds beforehand and close your eyes did you Uh, close your eyes because i was watching ed play this and one of the things that happens is that a message comes up saying can you see this message and you can click yes or no but obviously ed (laughs) didn't see it because he was being a good boy and had his eyes closed yeah um yeah so again it goes through like these weird mini games like that but then it just launches a weird visual novel about hieronymus bosch uh, or rather about um a woman in madrid who really likes hieronymus bosch paintings um, and everyone just makes very philosophical, slightly purple prose phrases at each other. And she goes into a bookshop and, get, and a stranger says some weird purple prose at her. And I have I just lost interest at that point, to be honest. I don't I don't want to be the old fuddy-duddy, but really, I just did not get it at all. Who's this game for? It's a good question. <laughs> it reminded me of a telegilly... A Terry Gilliam cartoon, if you took out all the humour, wit, insight, and replaced it with just lots of reference to philosophy. 
that. But see, that's the thing. I I did a philosophy degree and I didn't understand any of what the game was talking about. Like, I'm not sure it's even for us. Exactly. As I said, remove all wit, insight or humor. Like, (laughs) it's just uh, nonsense. (laughs) Hence, Carvey Carvey bollocks DM. No. Um, yeah. Cause, uh, did, was it, um, you got past the combat simulator then, Tom? No, I didn't get to that at all. Oh, okay. I think oh, so. I, I lost interest when I was leafing through, um, books. So suddenly at one point someone gives you a book and then there's a whole interface dedicated to leaf, leafing through these books. Okay, it went down a different branch for me then. Uh, I don't know what, maybe it judged my prenatal testosterone to, like a Mortal Kombat simulator game instead, which was frustrating in the extreme, giving you only three uh, moves at a time, and the opponent could randomly pick three moves, and it could counter each move, or you could lose health. And it went on like this for about a good 20, 25 minutes without really making any bloody point. Also, <laughs> the first time it came up, you didn't click on a move in time because you only get a fraction of a second in which to choose which move you're going to use. So you just did nothing for the first move. Yeah, yeah. and that knocked me down. And then it, if you finally get through that, it's then someone playing this game on a PSP who then starts philosophizing, sort of saying, oh, when three moves so limiting? What about four moves? What about five moves? What about 12, 600 moves? Like, and it's sort of just, I get that you're sort of trying to draw some abstract thing about philosophy into meaning with video games, but you've just failed completely here. You've just made something which was tedious and unfun without having any real draw or point to it. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, maybe grumpy <laughs> and old. I mean, there's a potential for it to be one of those games that you you have to keep playing in order to get what it's trying to do. But also, should we force ourselves to play games like that? Yeah, there is there is kind of a candy boxness to it, I guess, in that it uh, in that each section is completely radically different from the next, and you don't really know what the game's going to be. But I, um, but yeah, I can't really, I don't really feel like I enjoyed any of the sections apart from maybe the um, cheeky little close your eyes thing. Um, that might be my favourite bit. <laughs> <laughs> is it my turn? I think uh, it is. Yes. Let me see. Speaking of the game that's just lights, I played Line Wobbler, which I actually really, really liked. Like, at first, I was like, oh my god, this is another one of those stupid games where they've (laughs) fabricated this stupid physical thing that they've had to drag here just so people could have a stupid physical experience jordan hates the physical she prefers to exist as a cloud of gas yeah no me i totally hate the physical i'm the least physical person in the world um but anyway this game line wobbler i went and played it um i kind of pushed my way to the front of this huge crowd that was gathered around it and 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 had a go it's a they call it a one-dimensional dungeon crawler and i'm not sure how i feel about that because (laughs) dimensional it's a line surely that's two-dimensional Anyway, um, I thought so, um, I thought it would only be two dimensions of it connected into a isn't, shape. Isn't it a wonder? Anyway, well, this line went all the way up this column. Uh, yeah, so basically, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Let me look up what an Arduino is because I don't want to sound like an idiot when I talk <laughs> about this. 
but this this game is made with an Arduino. That's what it was made with. Uh, Google describes as, well, the Arduino website describes as Arduino, an open source electronics platform based on easy to use hardware and software. But Mm. what the game looks like is a line made up of dots that can be lit up in different colors. And the line at the, at res, it's stretched like along a table and then up a column and kind of round onto the ceiling, Mm. which is pretty cool. Um, that you play this game with a little joystick um, that that wobbles, right? So it's like on a spring and you push it to the left and your dot goes, which is green because, you know, green is good. Everyone knows that goes um, to the left and along this line and different obstacles come in your way. So there'll be like a red dot that's an enemy. And when you get up to close to an enemy, you have to like shake the joystick to make it kill the enemy. The friend who I was playing with made a few choice jokes about my inability to handle a joystick because I didn't do particularly well <laughs> at the beginning. But I did get the hang of it pretty quickly um, because the, the, the guy joystick. says uh, the joystick. I got the hang of the joystick pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, because the guy said the best way to do it is just to kind of give it a really big whack. So um, when you come up close to an enemy, you just kind of whack it on the side and it does a bit of wobbling and gets rid of the enemy for you. But then you've also got there's stuff like um, lava. So like a long stretch of orange. It's dangerous when it's orange, but when it turns to a kind of different color, you can cross it. So you have to... Just like all just, real lava, it turns on and off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, <laughs> just like all lava. <laughs> So, <laughs> so you, you kind of, you kind of move the joystick along so your green dot is right next to the lava and then you have to wait for the lava to change color and then you can cross it. Um, but there's also things like platforms that try and push you back. Um, so you've got to kind of stay there, like wiggling the joystick a little bit to make sure you stay right next to the lava and stuff. And it's way more fun than it has any right to be. <laughs> especially in front of a crowd. And I don't normally like playing things in front of people, especially because I was sucking quite hard at the beginning. But there were these, there were these guys watching me who were like, yeah, like every time I beat it, which made me feel quite cool. Um, so yeah, that was genuinely really, really fun. And I guess I should eat my hat or something because I kind of sneered at it when I saw it and was like, I'm never going to play something like that. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, unfortunately, it's not the kind of thing that I mean, well, not unfortunately. I'm not sure I'd really like one in my home, but it's not the kind of thing that he's going to mass produce. It'll be another one of those ones like Gang Beasts that will be found at events and stuff. I heard they were going to install one in the loading bar, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that'd be super cool. He said he might make it into like an arcade machine type thing, um, which sounds like a good idea. But considering he has to make all the make all the stuff himself, um, and it costs quite a lot to do that each time, um, it won't be like a mass market thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was cool. Edward? Yes? Next on your list? Next on my list? Um, well, pick one that's vaguely interesting. I'm seeing a lot of zombie Vikings. That doesn't sound interesting. No, that was awful. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, ooh, did you play Big Farmer or did we just stand there and watch other people playing it? Uh, I sat down with it very briefly but then i had to leave quickly i just okay, put it on the list because i had a, an experience of it i think tom <laughs> talked about big pharma before didn't you tom on the podcast yeah, it was at egx so i played a bit of it there well people um, can go back and listen to that episode if they want to find out about <laughs> uh, oh, well. <laughs> what about i'm sure he hasn't done any work at all in the last six months <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about Cloud Build or Cloud Built? I think it's called. Cloud Built? Oh yeah, I played. Because I watched you play it. 
Yeah, that was. uh... I tried to play it and sucked at it, so I gave you the controller instead. (laughs) (laughs) You you gave up after only a few minutes. Oh, the camera was a pain. Yeah, it it was a sluggish. uh, Anyway, it's uh, uh, like a platform uh, where you're sort of playing as a girl who's, as the developer said, dead or dying in a hospital bed. And I think going through her dreams or something like that, <laughs> an abstract concept. And in her dreams, she has a jetpack and a gun and she had to move through a level using movement and wall running. And just, oh, I have a um, jetpack and a gun in all my dreams as well. I wish I had a jetpack <laughs> and a gun in my dreams. It solves so many problems. <laughs> but, um, yeah, basically it was just apart from. Uh, very sluggish to response camera, which the developer said that he prefers playing it on the mouse and keyboard himself. So maybe it's just something he needs to tweak for the controller sensitivity. It was a very solid platformer. Uh, I never, I've actually played a few platformers really, like, uh, or actually, you could have picked a worse one to talk about because I don't really have much to say about the one. Ones I do have more interest in talking about are, more first-person puzzle games, which I know a lot of those come along, but I still enjoy trying each one. So, <laughs> and here's a segue here. So, trying each one, the game I played, try a. Eh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been pronouncing it tree, and I have no idea why, because it's tri, as in triangle, isn't it? Yeah, because the whole premise of the game is um, building triangles, uh, and so it's just. It has some nonsense story about two foxes being friends and they're not friends, and then you've got triangles for some reason. Doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just uh, showing off uh, almost the technology, really. And sort of, I only played it for twenty minutes, so I don't know whether it escalates as well as Portal does. And after sort of getting used to the base concept of drawing triangles, how many challenges it introduces, doing them very slowly for me. Basically, what it is, you have a point and you draw one point and then you draw three points and you make a triangle at a different angle and you can make them solid you can make them see through some you may make too steep to walk on but you can then solidify them and build triangles off of those so you've got these beautiful spiraling creations of triangles to solve general platform puzzles i enjoyed it it's not really doing anything too new exciting from the gene from the little i played with it but it's something i just enjoy i'd probably spend like a nice little afternoon if i had free time playing around with it uh another one was soul axiom i think i said it correctly um i think so yeah oh jolly good me (laughs) uh soul axiom is uh it was very confusingly based you start off in a tron-like universe where you pick up a skeleton hand and then you, the skeleton hand becomes your hand, but it then means you can, uh, either create or decreate, uh, like, blocks of pre-rendered areas to your whim to solve puzzles, like, so they stand fair. But then as you advance further, you then start to get, uh, different powers which can sort of like pause or reverse time and things. So, oh, just very pleasingly simple, a little bit janky and it does, Outstay, it's welcome a little bit, and sort of like, yeah, that thing where, okay, I've I've done this once. Do I really need to wait through and do this thing five more times? You beat me over the head with it enough. But um, yeah, if they can tweak that, I'll be interested. Again, nothing brilliant. Probably going to be five, six out of ten. But I'd play it for an afternoon. 
That is uh, <laughs> the Ed Fenning. Fair movie. enough. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the developers will be thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> probably a five or six out of ten. I'd probably play it for an afternoon. That's probably exactly what they were going for. Probably not as annoyed as the developers of Carve Carve just yet. So oh. I think I think the developer of that game will probably be thrilled, actually genuinely thrilled that we've been so dismissive of it. Because it's because it's you know art and stuff, and that's supposed mm. people are supposed to be dismissive of that. We're probably just plebs. Oh. Um, Tom, you're next. Oh, Aerobat. I've oh, heard yeah. that that's incredible. It's not my kind of thing at all. Well, it, the, it's another one of those ones where the aesthetic just puts me off. But I'm sure if I played it, I'd actually really enjoy mm. it. Yeah, it's it's a super stripped down kind of side scroller, uh, basically where you you're a plane and you uh, um, and uh, you you know go from left to right shooting things. Except um, there is no shoot button. In fact, the only thing button you have you move uh, you move the plane around with the mouse, um, and if you hold down uh, then you um, hold down the mouse button and you flick upwards to sort of make the plane jump. And this makes no aerodynamic sense whatsoever. Because the whole thing just spins around wildly. But while you're doing that, you automatically shoot enemies that are on the screen whilst you're jumping. <laughs> okay. So the idea is to charge up thrust and then jump and do that over and over again very carefully. Um, uh, uh, but timing it. Yeah, but um, timing it carefully so that um, you've got enough to shoot everything on screen and you don't collide with anything on screen. That's the mistake I kept making. I kept jumping into things. Uh, Never um, a good idea. Yeah. I did um, see that being played. It seemed quite beautiful. Yeah. Do you know what the interesting thing about it was? Well. I was talking to David Hayward about it because it was in the left field collection and he organized mm. it. And apparently it's all made by one guy. So one guy did the programming and the art and the sound himself, mm. which is pretty impressive. Yeah. It's got a great feeling to it when you pull it off really well and you just like, especially if you like, because the safe option off, uh, often is to like jump fairly it's a you do like a medium sized jump near the back of the screen so that you just shoot a load of things before they come on screen. When things are getting a bit hectic you end up having to like do a great arcing jump that goes all the way through some enemies very carefully not hitting them, shooting them all the time. Um and that that's what's great. Um, it's interesting how much it makes uh, how much um, it gets out of that very simple premise. Awesome. Oh mm. shit, it's my turn, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my sister. Um, I played a cool one. Um, I played a few cool ones actually in the BAFTA room, um, which aren't on the list on the website, so I nearly forgot all about them. Um, but there was one called um, Hugh, which I thought was pretty cool. Hugh as in H U E, not Hugh as in a man, um, called Hugh. And it's um, a 2D platformer in which you're a little, uh, a little guy. And you're walking through this world that's all made up of like blocks of color and you can change your surroundings um, to like the background color by bringing up a color wheel and switching to one of like, I think it was maybe eight or 12 or something different hues, I guess, on this color wheel. And you do this to solve puzzles. So like you'll come across a block um, of like, so say the background is blue, you'll come across a, bl- a big block that's red and you won't be able to climb up on it because it's too big but there's another block on top of it a smaller one that's yellow so you change the background to red and the big block disappears and it literally disappears so the world acts as if it's not there anymore because it's blending into the background so the little yellow block that was on top of it falls down 
um, to the floor. So then you can push it and then change the hue again, maybe back to blue. So you've got the little yellow block on the ground and you can jump up on it and then onto the red one. Um, and the demo only had puzzles like that. So it was pretty simple. And I asked the developer, you know, were you worried that you'd run out of ideas? And they said initially they were like initially they made this kind of thing with these basic color puzzles and they thought, well, that's probably it. But now they've added a load of stuff like lasers that have different colors and um, stuff like you'll be running away from, uh, say, like a boulder and then you can change their surroundings to be the same color as the boulder and it'll disappear and then you can change them back and then it'll be in front of you uh, and stuff like that. Um, and I talked to him about the story and he was like, oh, the story has something to do with, um, I think it was like the main characters growing up in a world that's all black and white. And I said, um, like the thought experiment in philosophy about this color scientist called Mary and he hadn't heard of it. And now he's gone and looked it up and read about it. And he tweeted at me earlier that he's gone and read this thought experiment, which is about a scientist who is an expert on color but she's grown up in a black and white world so she's never actually seen it that the point of the thought experiment is to wonder if there would be anything new you'd learn about color if you went outside and experienced it for the first time if you technically knew all of the physical stuff about it but it just reminded mm. me of that kind of story and i love when philosophical concepts are added to games uh in that kind of way not in the abstract kind of way that they are in that cave cave bollocks game that ed was talking about and <laughs> not like oh now we're going to talk about philosophy here are some philosophical words that you don't understand because you're too stupid like when they genuinely explore philosophical concepts and you don't even realize that they're doing that that's my favorite kind of game i think um so i think it could be really interesting uh, and it was yeah it was quite fun ed have you run out of games yet no you haven't oh it's i've huge uh yes i did actually manage to get around surprisingly um I, I don't know. Let's see. Whilst I've forgotten what I even hold down, this is even professional of me. Uh, it's right there. It's yeah, literally uh, right there on the Skype window. Um, oh, I'm not sure. I, I haven't really, <laughs> I'm not sure really if any of the rest of these are like. Well, Cadence was uh, quite a nice game based on like sound and sort of structuring the thing together. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you created a little. Oh, I'm lacking a. Vocabulary to describe this way, you'd connect lines and different objects in these lines which you couldn't connect them to before you made a whole um, chain reaction thing that was perpetually ongoing. Is that close enough? I think it is. Uh, but uh, the developer was all telling me so. Each of the it starts off as quite a nice puzzle game, which I would quite enjoy because it's really beautiful and soothing to play, and you could just get lost in it. And the developer says he's planning on expanding it where you can craft and create songs by building a map using each of these little segments on their own oh, and wow. so it'd be a beautiful drawing which you can then start one of them off at different times and play different chords and notes using all these different things so I think that would be interesting to see how it comes from but, um, do any of you want to talk about anything that stood out to you like as a show floor experience or about res in general <laughs> Mm, uh, experience. Well, the, the big obvious one for the show floor experience was the bosser people who made a kitchen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I am bread. Oh, and they also gave out hats with I am bread mm. on them and everybody was wearing them. Yeah. I did a panel about um, marketing your indie game and Mike Bithell was on it and we were asked what was the best example of marketing you'd seen recently and he said that. Although the people who made Unboxed also handed out bubble wrap to the queue on the final day and I think <laughs> that went down pretty well because everyone loves bubble wrap and everyone was talking about it on Twitter. 
Um, there were actually one of the other games that I enjoyed did a little marketing thing, which was um, Guild of Dungeoneering, which had a sign up saying um, "Beat the end boss with um, uh, more than two hearts to win a hundred thousand dollars." <laughs> so it was Zimbabwean dollars. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the thing I liked about Unbox, like it was positioned right next to that um, Monstrum, I think it is. The VR game where you're on a ship escaping a monster akin to so many of those in vogue games at the moment. Well, it's um, very alien isolation, isn't it? Because I talked to the developer and he said that the monster has AI, so it learns about your movements and stuff. And also the ship is procedurally generated, so it's different every time you play it. Yeah, well, it's just the juxtaposition like in our showroom floor where that where you're meant to be in the dark horror experience you got your vr headset on next to it was unbox playing with it has this really cheery sort of like bongo soundtrack going and they had that on speakers so all four people could experience it at once and it was just a juxtaposition of worlds entirely which because uh, i was playing it for a little bit monstrum and in the background I could just hear this cheery bongo music just going on constantly <laughs> just to my left which sort of just took me out of the moment a bit <laughs> yeah. um, I was actually going to ask since you guys were there for more days than I was um, did you guys go to any of the uh, sessions any of the talks or anything like that I mean I, I was in one <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I, obviously I knew you went to that one I didn't know if you also went to any others uh no, I they were disappointingly didn't get round to any of the proper developer sessions. They mm. were <laughs> very overqueued. Oh yeah, the mm. queues were huge. I saw the game jam, which was the last thing that happened on the last day, mm. um, oh. which was the Guardian actually was kind of supporting it. Um, the theme was like news stories. So they had the option of, oh, there were a few of them, but the ones that most people picked were the one about Jeremy Clarkson and the fracas, or f- I don't know how mm. you pronounce that, that he was in. And then there was one about Ed Miliband cutting fuel bills, something, something. Uh, um, if, if only they waited a couple more days, they could have had a whole bevy of where on earth is Vladimir Putin games. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so one of the teams did an incredibly insensitive game about Terry Pratchett's death. About like, um, I mean, I, I, I don't think they were trying to be insensitive, but it was about his, his Alzheimer's and the game was like, oh, Terry Pratchett has Alzheimer's, so he can't find his keys. And it was like a 2D platformer where he was trying to find his keys. And they had some nice stuff in there where they were like, oh, and then, you know, you find the suitcase from the books and stuff, you know, the little luggage that follows Mm. you around. But yeah, that was, um, that was pretty awkward to watch when they were describing it. Um, Mm. But the winners were, um, I can't remember what their team name was, but Alex Rose, who's making Rude Bear Resurrection and some other folks made a game mm. where Ed Miliband is a ninja and, <laughs> <laughs> and he's there with his brother, who's also a ninja, um, on the same screen and bills, fuel bills are coming in from either side of the screen and they have to kind of slice them in half a la Fruit Ninja and it's competitive. <laughs> but there's also a third player, which is the audience because they had this big microphone that they put down in front of the audience and they got the audience to make noise. And the more noise the audience made, the more bills came in from the screen that the Milibands <laughs> had to slice. Um, so I think That's they won cool. pretty much purely on innovation, although it was a pretty, you know, it, it worked and everything. Some of the games didn't even work and the art was really, really good. Um, but yeah, they were the winners. Cool. So that was cool. Yeah. Uh, glad to see Alex as well. Um, during the last Res Game Jam, I followed his team throughout, but they didn't win that side. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, cool. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, there was one more thing I wanted to ask people to see if that's about anything interesting. What's the one game that you didn't see at Res that, uh, in retrospect, you wish you had? Oh, that's a good question because it's not going to be on this list that I've written down. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me look up what was there. I have two, so I'm going to wait to see. I'll wait for you two to sort to see if it's. <laughs> what if we if, both um... pick one of the games you've got? Then you'll be screwed. Mm. Uh, I don't know actually. There were quite a few games there that I'd already played. Like, I would have sat down gladly and played Kitty Powers Matchmaker all day, but I didn't think that was fair on everybody else. Oh, I, never, I didn't see yeah. Inside My Radio. I couldn't find that. I guess it was in the Xbox bit. Did either of you play mm. that? No, I didn't know. Mm. Mushroom Eleven was there as well. Also a favourite of mine for upcoming games. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I had a huge list, and there were so many that I didn't get to play. There were quite a few that... I knew I'd want to play, but not at rest, especially because, so I had a headache the first two days, the Thursday, and then I had a really bad one on the Friday because it was after the BAFTAs and I woke up with a, with a hangover despite <laughs> not having drunk any alcohol. Um, so I didn't really play many games on those days. And by the time it was Saturday, it was so busy that I didn't want to play any games, even though I didn't have a headache anymore because there were children everywhere. Mm. Um, I wanted to try Torrin. That looked interesting. Um, this let me see it's it's uh one of the first games being supported by Brazilian cultural incentive law Ooh. according to its website just has a really nice but, art style and yeah I've missed that one completely that's something really interesting see weird for me I tried to come to the show without having any idea of what to expect really I didn't look at any of the game listing I sort of heard friends say it's probably a good lineup, and that's good enough for me. I'll come I mean, along. That's what comes from not being a working game journalist anymore, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> I, I didn't either, but um, I was thinking that I had a couple of people who said, oh, you should play this, um, but it was too late or I didn't get a chance to play it, or I only heard about it afterwards. Oh, Did either you... of you play Plug and Play? I've uh, played through that previously at home. <laughs> I do stay relevant somehow. Uh, that is, yeah... <laughs> That is a fun little line. I think it's only £2 now, £2.50. Maybe at that price. It's something you only ever play through once. It was based on an old 20-minute Flash animation, which they just added these interactive elements to. And it's just a fun little daft thing. Uh, it, I think it did initially come to the store at £6, though, which it definitely wasn't worth. Uh and I don't know, it depends whether you feel £2 is worth it for about an hour, half hour of entertainment and animation. Uh, it's just, it's yeah, very silly and rude in its own way, but you'll just giggle at it, I feel. Tom, are you going to say Fabulous Beasts? Yes, that was one of the ones um, I only found out about after after I'd already gone. The problem with that one was that it was right behind Line Wobbler, so there was always a large group of people in front of it. Yeah, so which which meant that I missed it completely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Fabulous Beast, I don't know, uh, you should probably describe it since I only heard about it after. I heard it's a game in which you physically stack little things with, uh, with um, ripped chips in them. Yeah, so I didn't get to play it either but um the description on the website is it's an experimental prototype for a new game as part of the play sandbox scheme a game of stacking smart objects for two players 
Um, it's a physical digital hybrid game. So the physical element is a cooperative stacking game. Players take it in turns to add objects to a tower. The tower rests on a sensing platform, which drives the digital element, a creation game. I'm still reading, by the way. This isn't from the top of my head. <laughs> you play as young gods of a new world, rulers over all you survey, create great races of beasts and set them to interact with one another. Your goal is to cooperate, to create a world that's in balance and to compete to create a world that pleases you above all. The picture on the website is of like, uh, kind of crosses between different animals mm. so like there's a deer and a whale and if you cross them you get a dale uh with the head of a deer and the and the backside of a whale um and stuff like that so i don't know if it's about weird animal breeding that wouldn't work in real life but it looks like a really fun physical thing to play with and i do wish i'd had a chance to try it yeah i uh seem really interesting it's uh, i think um george buckingham was involved in it and uh uh he does a lot of strange things like that um uh so uh, was it i think it was the last igf he entered a game called punch the custard <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> where you built some kind of sensor and then you fill bowls of custard and you punch the custard mm. and of course of course it didn't win anything because even, even though you know should you know? You think it? Even though um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would have liked it to win the um, Nuevo category. Um, the fact is that most of it just, just didn't have the time or facilities to build a custard sensor. <laughs> and I think he knew that, but he, but he put it in anyway. Ah, uh, that's the problem with games like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, so that and also Convoy, which I heard good things about, um, which is kind of a uh, an FTL like roguelike game where you uh, direct a convoy across um, a wasteland in a sort of Mad Max style. Oh, that sounds pretty cool, actually. I think I mm. saw, like, vehicle-shaped things and lost interest without even looking up <laughs> what kind of game it was. Because I yeah. judge books by their covers. <laughs> Ed, is there anything you wanted to see but didn't get a chance to? Or are you just going off your, I didn't know what to expect, I just kind of floated through... <laughs> Oh, thank you for making me seem such a whimsical being. Um, uh, I did have quite a few people tell me to go play Bloodborne, but as I just Dark Souls for me, it's just it's not a challenging experience. It's just a very sluggish, dull experience, which will lose me a lot of respect here. But um, I just had no interest in seeing that through. Another one was uh, Heroes of the Storm, because I play far too much Dota, so I'm interested in what their competitors are doing. Also, uh, that queue yes, for both they, Bloodborne and Heroes of the Storm. Exactly, for games which I'm not too enthusiastic about, but I feel that I should be expected to play at some stage, but no. I'd rather go play down to the left field collection where even if there are still queues there, it's only two, three people at most, and I only have to wait about ten minutes, and I get to experience something really innovative and fresh, whereas I feel Bloodborne, Heroes of the Storm are such big games in their own right, which I was a bit puzzled at them being at res themselves, but I guess they do need some big-ticket names like that to bring punters in. But um, mm. yeah. There's always been... a few larger games there um, often say sega i think um fund a lot of stuff there they uh mm. um <clears throat> they help back the game jam and the left field collection i think um and you know which is um and they in particularly creative assembly have a big press have had a big presence for the last few years i've been there mm. 
But other than that, Creative Assembly helped the um, the game jam. Yeah, exactly. and there was a PlayStation and Blizzard room and a Microsoft room. Yeah, I mean the 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 um, Sony and Microsoft ones make more sense now, obviously, but they're recruiting a lot of indie stuff. Mm. I think when Rest started, it was just PC games. Um, yeah, don't, don't hold me to that. Um, no, it was it was PC and indie. I think was the. And at that, at that point, it was associated more with Rock, Paper, Shotgun than less with Eurogamer. Yeah. Um, well, it was in Brighton, which is where mm. all those guys are. Well, some of those um, guys. Yeah. They're a bit more spaced out now. There's some in London and some still in Bath, I think. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that, not the Bath there. isn't lovely, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but the Blizzard stuff, uh, that has surprised me. It's, um, I guess... Um, uh, it's, and it's often like their esports orientated stuff. I guess it's just a place they can put on a tournament or something. Maybe that's it. Mm. So there was a Hearthstone tournament at the last rest as well, I think. I can't remember. It all blurs into one after a while. Yeah. A lot of people were talking about how rest seemed quite confused and not really sure what it was because of all these kind of disparate kinds of things were going on. I did like the new venue though and the fact that it was all separated into rooms because that meant there were rooms that I just ignored entirely, like the Blizzard <laughs> room and the you know, Microsoft room and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, uh that that might work quite well as uh, and it's also like the first of the UK conventions at least I've been to that just isn't housed in a giant room that's painted black and yeah. <laughs> very dim lights. Yeah, that was like, nice. <laughs> Individually, each of the rooms was like dim enough that you'd never had a problem with like uh, seeing the monitors or anything. But in between them, there was a nice airy space, um, with uh, and yeah, a really nice place. Um, surprisingly good like catering things nearby. Really nice pies. Yeah. Did you know though the coffee guy? And this is an outrage. He upped his prices between Friday and Saturday. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? A hot yeah. coffee scandal in the games industry. Yeah, I know. Coffee <laughs> uh, uh, It's a good job it was between Friday and Saturday. If it was, if it was between like Thursday and Friday, it'd be like that. That'd be a terrible. It'd be like journalists having subsidised coffee. <laughs> it's the, a terrible scandal. The pie place actually lowered the prices of their drinks. So, mm. Mm. Well, so those pies were good. How was the Baftas, by the way? I should probably ask that. We <laughs> um, the BAFTAs. Well, I was in the press room, not at the actual event. And it was really interesting because um, we had to like stand. So the way they had it set up is they had we were all sat at these tables, um, but the people who we wanted to interview weren't going to come to the tables. So I'm not sure like why they were really there apart from, I guess, to have our food. Um, which we were, which, which had a sign on it that said, please do not eat at first. So of course I stole some of it, but like, I didn't want to steal all of it because that seemed a bit dodgy. But when they finally lifted the sign off, I leapt from my seat because I was starving and ran to get to the front of the queue and dropped my phone in the process. So if anyone's seen the tweet, um, going around that, uh, I think Keith Andrew took a picture of my cracked phone. People kept coming up to me at res going, Oh, how, how's your time here been? I see you broke your phone. It's <laughs> like the main thing people cared about show us your crack yeah yeah that um i so yeah that 
that happened. The um, I broke my phone. I ate some food. But then the way it was set up is that they had this red rope across the far end of the room. And at one side was the door and it had the screen above it so that you could watch what was going on in the other room. But we had to stand at the opposite side of the rope from the screen. So we couldn't watch it because there was this line of cameras and every interviewee came that came through. They had to walk along this line and be interviewed by every single person there who had a camera. And then at the end of it, they got us, you know, the poor, lowly journalists who only had dictaphones and um i like organized this into a group and every single person i've said this to you know I, I had a group of journalists and i was in charge you know i was their leader everyone's kind of gone of course even the um the woman who <laughs> plays amanda ripley in alien isolation andrea deck i told her i was like we've got a little setup here i'm in charge and she was like of course you're a woman just as if that was just uh taken as read but um we had like a little circle and we were doing one question each, just going around this circle. Tim Schafer was quite funny when we got to him. He kind of gave his name and, and moved his head across all of the microphones to kind of make sure it was evenly spread. Um, so that was quite funny. But yeah, the event was good. Um, there was a bit of an uproar at the end when Destiny won best game. We all kind of went, oh, <laughs> like, it wasn't quite a boo. It was kind of a confused, like, what the hell just happened noise. Um, although I'm not sure what other games were in the category. I can't remember any standouts. I know Monument Valley was in there, but they won a couple of other awards. And I'm not sure that they really needed that one. Um, but it seemed to go well. I heard that, um, oh, Sugar, what's her name? The girl who plays Ellie in The Last of Us, Ashley Johnson. I heard that her speech was very rousing about... Um, the, the DLC and like representation and diversity and all this kind of thing. I'm going to find it and watch it. And if I find it, I will give you the link, Tom, so that you can put it in the show notes. But she was cool. awesome when we interviewed her as well. You know, she was talking about the, the DLC, which won, I think, oh gosh, what did it won? What did it win? It won Ab after for something. Let me look it up. Did it win? Des no, it didn't win design. That was Mordor. Story. The Last of Us Left Behind. Mm -hmm. um and she was talking about how neil Druckmann just said you know just called her up and was like i want to do this story i think ellie's i think this story is about um you know her friend and stuff like that spoilers there. spoilers <laughs> you're gonna have to re-inject that back in <laughs> just a clip of me saying by the way this bit has some spoilers in it um <laughs> I might just bleep out everything you said. Love so, like, <laughs> okay, okay. If you want to do this story and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said that Neil like phoned her up and told her about what the story was going to be like. And she was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm I'm totally up for it. Um, a couple of people in our little group of journalists asked if, she, if she'd be interested in doing further work with the character and what the character might be like when she was older and stuff. And she said that she'd definitely be keen, but she didn't give anything away. So we don't have any exclusives about uh, The Last of Us 2 or anything. I'm afraid. So, I'm going to be honest, your description of it sounds a bit horrible. To be the BAFTAs? Like, yeah. I mean, the party was good. <laughs> <laughs> but just like this, oh, you, uh, everyone on their way out go through the mandatory camera line. Yeah, that was a bit <laughs> strange. And like, there was um, the Monument Valley guys, because they had to keep going back in because they were nominated for so many awards. We never got to interview them because they'd get halfway through the cameras and then the guy would be like, oh, you got to go back to your seats. The next one's being announced. And I hear that all the people who were in the actual BAFTAs got like really, really hungry because they didn't get food until the party. So they're all feeling a bit lightheaded. Yeah. Did you see the clip of... Um... So there you go. When you see these glamorous wars on TV, it's actually really horrible. <laughs> no, no, don't say that. I have some friends at BAFTA. Um... 
It, no, it was good. The party was really, really fun. Um, did you see Steve Burns and Jim Trinker when Destiny was announced as best game? There's like a clip of them just looking incredibly disappointed. I think Steve's got his hand on his forehead, like what the hell is just going on? Although I think that might be because the guy fell over like when he was going to get his award. He also fell over later on at the party um, and he dropped his BAFTA on the floor and it scatters a load of wine glasses across the room at me. Uh, it was good though. I did quite like the inclusion of the BAFTAs with Rez because it meant that not everyone, but like, there's quite a lot of faces on the Thursday and the Friday who stuck around and was going around the show floor that you could bump into. Like you introduced me to the voice of Joanna Dark, for instance. That oh, Laurence, she's great. Yeah, she has yeah. so many great stories. Okay, that's because it because it, it really didn't feel that way when I like left on Thursday. It really did feel like it's like all right, all the people who actually made the games clear out, and I don't know who these people are, but they're coming in for the bat. Yeah, they've all got suits on. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the like the 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 um, state of dress of the people who were in that building changed <laughs> dramatically. Yeah, I did like the juxtaposition. The line outside there was just one big, huge line of people in, and one person who. Was in orange and green. Don't know if it was a Granger Games thing or something like that. But everyone else in sort of tuxes and nice dresses and just coming out is the dishevelled hordes of EGX res in hoodies <laughs> and ironic gamer t-shirts and not that many check shirts this year, yeah. which maybe the games industry is learning. <laughs> yeah. You're a very dapper dresser, uh, though, aren't you, Ed? <laughs> uh, sometimes, yes. <laughs> I was like on the coach halfway down when I found out that I might be I've been able to get into the Baftas if I'd uh, if I'd known beforehand and thus had packed any kind of shirts. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of people who were like, ah, dress code. <laughs> Whoops. Mm. Apparently, some of the developers um, emailed the uh, Rob, the guy who was running it, and were like, "Are you sure it's black tie?" And he was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, we're sure it's black tie. That's why we put black tie." <laughs> um, but yeah it was good i think there were i think maybe people weren't as dressed up as they might have been at a different industry event like there was definitely a guy in trainers at the party which i'm not sure you would get away with at a, at a different kind of industry event. scandalous i know and everyone got thoroughly anyway. trashed apart from me but i still got a hangover sympathy hangover yeah maybe oh i don't i don't think i do sympathy so it can't have been that <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was good. Rest was good. Anyone got anything else they want to add, or should we wrap up? That's it. And we didn't ask for questions, did we? Because we organised this while I was on the train home. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think we've, uh, yeah, I think we've been going on long enough anyway. Okay. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Questions for next time, though, everyone, you can send to at not a game podcast or email. Mm-hmm. Do we have an email address? We do. It's notagamepodcast.gmail.com. Fantastic. I haven't checked it in quite some time, so maybe there's some questions. In there. Cool. We'll have some really old, so what do you think of Peter Molyneux, guys? Questions. <laughs> um, and you can tweet us individually. I'm at JawsU, which is J-A-W-S-E-W, Tom. Uh, I'm at Word Mercenary. And you can actually tweet at Ed as well if you want to, though we probably won't have him on again for a while. But if you'd like to follow him, you've got a really funny Twitter handle, haven't you, Ed? Oh, it's, well, it's, no. it's literally your initials which I couldn't do because that would be at Jew <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just at EGTF if you don't find me boring enough from this podcast you can follow me there for more witticisms <laughs> awesome uh, I think that's everything that we need to say mm-hmm. thanks listeners for sticking with us this long on this episode 77 not legs 11 as Tom would have you believe <laughs> 
<laughs> Should we say goodbye, everyone? Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.